Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, December 1st, 2010. I am still suffering from the cold. It's day three. Apparently my name it and claim it, blab it and grab it skills are, well, just not there. Maybe I just don't have enough Joel Osteen-like faith. You know, I've been looking for that little birdie to come sit on my window so I can figure out whether or not God's going to show his favor on me so I can get over my cold. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And, well, we work from the idea that God's Word, we can trust that. Everything else, yeah, no. You know what? Oh, one of the things that uh, I get a lot of is, well, let's just say emails that demonstrate that I've upset somebody. It 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 just happens. It <laughs> Uh, the, the Phil Pringle sermon that I did uh, on Monday that that upsets some people. I got a I got a hate filled email from somebody saying you're just a, a sensationist, and uh, and that's not sensationalist. Like you know, I'm into sensationalism, but I'm a cessationist, and and that was you know you're that it was an ad hominem argument, basically saying that you're you're a gunky head and your mom dresses you funny, and we're gonna name you. As a cessationist, by the way, I'm not a cessationist. I, you know, I, the way I understand the gifts of the Spirit as they're explained in First uh, Corinthians 12, and uh, well, actually, it's First Corinthians 12, 13, 14, and uh, is that uh, God gives different kinds of gifts and for the edification and building up of the church, and there's. There's gifts uh, that relate to being able to miraculously speak in other languages to foretell the gospel, a.k.a. tongues. There's prophetic gifts. There are gifts of teaching, administration, and other things. And uh, maybe I'm just too simple-minded here, but um, if I were a cessationist, then I would have to basically say that, well, ain't nobody getting the gift of teaching anymore either. (laughs) Yeah, we're 
we're <laughs> we are the body of Christ without any gifts from the Spirit whatsoever. So no, I'm not a cessationist. I you know I believe that God can do what God the Holy Spirit wants to do. If He wants to give you miraculous abilities to do different things, you know, in order to build up His church, then so be it. He's God. I'm not. And so no, I'm not a cessationist. I will say this though: if you're claiming to be a prophet claiming that you're running around the landscape with a special anointing from God, then uh, <laughs> what you're preaching and teaching better line up with God's Word. Otherwise, uh, there's a biblical category that you fall into, and that is the category of false prophet. And so, you know, it's real simple. God the Holy Spirit, he doesn't stutter, he <laughs> doesn't contradict himself, and he's not suffering from Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> seriously. I mean, think about it. You know, God the God the Holy Spirit has revealed that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Plain and simple. So if God says, get this, you know, I'll give you something really simple. One of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not steal. That's pretty straightforward. You know, you don't take something that belongs to somebody else and make it your own. Uh, you know, by with you know by hook or by crook or you know, crook or what you know, you just don't do that. You know, you you if it belongs to somebody else, they need to be properly reimbursed for it, and the offer needs to be made, and they need to be willing to give it up for you for the price that uh, you know that ever is negotiated for. You don't show up in their house and uh, when they're at work and just start lifting things and saying, "Well, this belongs to me now." That's stealing. So if you're a prophet and you come along and say, I am a prophet, I have a special anointing of the Spirit, I have met with the international banker angel, and I have met with the angel swift, have ascended into heaven and been able to imbibe in the wine cellar of God, and I've got a new revelation, then that revelation is that stealing is okay. I basically say... That's fine and dandy. Um, you can claim that you've imbibed on the <clears throat> wine of the wine cellar of God and all that kind of stuff and met angels and the whole nine yards, but because what you're saying is coming from God contradicts what God has already revealed, uh, yeah, according to the biblical tests for a prophet, you fall into the category of a false one. Yeah, just plain and simple. You're... You're lying, and you're probably doing it to try to make money. And so, you know, I'm not a cessationist. I, I think God the Holy Spirit is, can do whatever God the Holy Spirit wants to do. Uh, does that mean that I believe it's possible for God to get to give somebody a prophetic word? Sure, why not? Okay, but uh, yeah, I, you better believe uh, before I listen to that prophetic word, I'm going to sit down and catechize the person who claims to be giving me the prophetic word and test everything they say against the word of God. I'm not going to despise prophecy outright. I'm just going to basically say, okay, buddy, um, let's uh, let's sit down with Bible in hand and open, and uh, let's talk about the gospel that you believe, teach, and confess. Let's talk about who Jesus is and what he's done. Yeah, I, listen, if an angel shows up at the foot of your bed tonight, you know, it, it is the Christmas season now. Well, actually, we're in Advent. It's not technically the Christmas season, but you wouldn't know based upon what's going on at your local mall. 
Anyway, so, you know, being that we're now rapidly approaching Christmas and everyone is feeling all spiritual and you got little lighted angels flying around, you know, your Christmas tree at City Hall and at your local mall and all that kind of stuff. And so tonight, you know, you go to bed and you're in your comfy little warm spot because it's snowing outside. By the way, it's snowing here in Indiana. And you're in your comfy little warm spot and you have visions of sugar plums dancing through your head. And all of a sudden you look up and there there's an angel right there at the at the foot of your bed and your first response if it really is an angel of god is you're going to go ah! <laughs> i that's just kind of what i've noticed is the general response for people in the bible when they run into an angel it's not like hey hey man how's it going slap me some skin no that's <laughs> that's not how things go when you see an angel it's ah! You know, and the, generally, then the 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 encounter goes something like this: the angel will say, "Fear not," <laughs> and you're gonna go, "Yeah, all right, okay." So let's uh, let's assume that you've gotten past the whole "fear not" stage of the encounter, and the angel says, "I have a word for you from God," and you you should immediately, you know, say to the angel, "Stop." Okay, listen, I'm not saying I I don't believe you. But because of all the weird things that are being said out there in the name of God, I, I need to make sure that you're not from the other side. Tell me about God. Who is he? Is he God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Is he the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come? What did Jesus do on the cross? Cross. Catechize the angel. And then, you know, and listen— no angel from God, especially in these days, is going to sit there and go, how dare you catechize me? How dare you test to see whether I'm really from God? Because Scripture itself says that Satan masquerades as, come on, fill in the blank. Uh, yeah, those of you who know your Bible, uh-huh. yeah, right. The answer is angel of light. Right. There you go. So since Satan masquerades as an angel of light, if an angel of light shows up at the foot of your bed, you catechize the yeah, <clears throat> see what I'm saying here? So, yeah, it's just one of those things. Angels and prophets all get to be tested nowadays. <laughs> You're thinking, Chris, are you serious? I mean, do you really think it's possible for an angel to show up at the foot of your bed? Listen, God is God, and he has his own agenda. I Sure, why not? Okay, why not? Okay, but that being the case, before you start getting messages from angels, you need to make sure he's not really a double agent. You, you know, you know what I mean. <sighs> you know, and if the angel says, "Well, the message of the gospel is, you just need to believe in yourself," <laughs> then your immediate response to the angel is, "Depart from me in the name of Jesus! I command you to leave the foot of my bed and never return." That's just that's how it goes. I'm just glad I got that off my chest. Anyway, <laughs> how did I get? Uh, yeah, you know what it is. This is day three of my cold, and I've um, I've moved up to the harder stuff. I started off with triaminic, and then I think you know I thought you know what that's like kids' cough medicine and decongestant. So today I moved up to the hard stuff. I moved up to Dayquil. It's true, and tonight. Holding in my hand right here, NyQuil. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about out-of-body experiences. Good night. You know, I, the other day I felt like there were two of me. Today I feel like there's like 
two of me all lamped up. And my nose is not running either, which is really cool. And I found these really great Kleenex, but we ran out of Kleenex in our house. And so I had to go to the pharmacy today. And I found Puffs Plus. They have Vicks uh, Vapor Rub in the tissue. Oh, 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 oh. that's a rush. Yeah, just I just love being sick. It's so fun. Yay! <laughs> Maybe I should just end the program here and step away from the microphone. I've apparently <clears throat> lost my mind. Well, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I don't even have any idea if I actually finished my thought during the opening monologue, but there it is. So uh, today <laughs> today what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of email and, you know, may, may, maybe a little bit more than a little bit of it. We're going to do some email today, and then um, I want to get to a story from The Telegraph in the U.K. about Christianity being airbrushed from society as Christmas is rebranded. That's part of the headline that uh, from that particular Story And I might follow it up with a uh, Christian Post story that says Christian columnist says that we've won the war on Christmas. There's a... Yeah, this is going to be one of my pet peeve types of things. And if we have opportunity, I never got to the exorcism article written by Albert Moeller a couple of weeks ago because of Kimblegate. And uh, and then uh, let's see here. I don't know if we're going to get to this today. Maybe tomorrow. Uh, I got audio from a video from a recent, quote, outpouring where Todd Bentley was presiding. And, oh, boy, you've got to hear this. And then our sermon today. Oh, man. Our sermon, yeah, if you can even call it that. Our sermon today comes from the Champion Center there in the Pacific Northwest near Seattle. Um, and um, Kevin Gerald presiding and... I, I oh man, with a name like Champion Center, I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? But anyway, the name of it is Breaking Free Part Four, Breaking Free Part Four, and uh, yeah, it, you know, and keep in mind, Kevin Gerald was one of the featured speakers at uh, Ed Young, the Ed Young Junior's leadership conference this past summer. So, I mean, he's an up-and-coming star, even among purpose-driven types, and it uh, doesn't make any sense to me at all, but there it is. So, tell you what, let's uh, dive into the program proper, and um, Arranging the emails here. All right, I now got them in order. Okay, email. Um, Our first email comes to us from Tennessee, from Jan in Tennessee. I don't know where in Tennessee, but uh, Jan is from Tennessee. And uh, the subject is cow tipping. Yeah, cow tipping. I think this is in response to the uh, the sermon review, or well, the, well, the sound bite that we did during our uh, Twilight Zone marathon episode of Fighting for the Faith, where the uh, uh, Rob Wang, uh, Wagner from uh, Granger Community Church uh, was preaching during the cow tipping sermon series. 
And uh, Jan wanted to make sure that I understood what cow tipping was. And if you don't know what cow tipping is, uh, this is worth passing along. Um, Dear Chris, this may be redundant saying the same thing over again and repetitions because you've probably had others write to you about cow tipping. Jan, it's funny that you would write that. I'm beginning to think that you might be a prophetess. Um, The answer is yes. I've I've (laughs) had more than a few uh, emails from people explaining to me what cow tipping is. And, um, and so I, you know, I picked your email, uh, just because I thought it was one of the better ones. Anyway, uh, Jan, she says, uh, no, it's not giving a cow or a farmer money for producing really good milk, butter, or cheese, but, um, bump. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, I'm glad you clarified that, Jan. I, yeah, because, you know, cow tipping does sound like something that, you know, giving money to a farmer for producing really good milk, butter, or cheese. She says, here in the South, down in Tennessee, cow tipping is a time-honored high school and slightly redneck pastime. In my younger days, about a century ago, I participated in this activity. Now, Jan, I, I just have to ask, are, are you emailing me about this cow tipping experience because you're looking for absolution? Yeah, uh, yeah. well, let me continue reading. I'm, I might have to absolve you after I read this email. It seems that cows, one, sleep standing up. Uh, seriously? Two, they're heavy sleepers. And three, they're top-heavy. I could have figured that part out. I mean, I always thought it was kind of weird. I mean, cow legs look like toothpicks compared to the girth that those toothpicks uh, carry around here. Uh, so what you do in order to tip a cow, by the way, I need to give a warning here. Uh, those of you high school students listening to Fighting for the Faith and are taking copious notes about cow tipping, um, I must advise you, please don't try any of this at home or at your local dairy farm. Okay, let's see. Uh, so here's what you do. You go out late at night and you make sure the farmer's house is far enough away that he doesn't catch you. Uh, I would assume that's a very important vital part of this. Then you find a field full of cows. No bull intended. Hi, gee. You put on your boots, waterproof preferred for (laughs) obvious reasons. This is very elaborate here. I can tell that you've done this. Then you pick a cow that is obviously sleeping. You walk quietly up to the cow, place your hands quickly and firmly on its side, and then shove. It helps to do this with a partner as cows weigh a little more than you do. So in other words, you need you, you all need to kind of coordinate in the dark next to the sleeping cow, and several of you need to get into the, um, yeah. If you've done it right, the cow will fall over, a la Artie Johnson from Laughing. This is really not a nice thing to do to the cow, as she will likely have a serious struggle to get up, somewhat akin to being forcefully pulled out of a warm bed on a cold night. Not really harmful, but no fun for the victim. Anyway, just wanted to let you know this is one of those things you do in the country when there are no movies, pool halls, etc. Jan, um, yeah, I did read your warning. Don't try this at home. I, uh, I absolve you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Good night. Seriously? I mean, this is an argument in favor of pool halls and and movies theaters. Okay, so there you folks. If those of you who didn't know what cow tipping was, there's our explanation on what cow tipping is from Jan in Tennessee. Thank you for listening, and thank you for the explanation on the cow tipping. Yes, I did get a few emails on that, but yours was definitely the best. 
Okay, moving along here, uh, Lynn writes, and I'm not exactly sure where Lynn is. My guess, somewhere in North Carolina, in the Charlotte area. You're thinking, well, that's quite a guess. Well, let me read the email and you'll understand why I'm saying that. Um, I wanted to say thank you for your ministry and for fighting for the faith. I am a newer Christian, two years and a couple of months. I was saved at a semi-seeker-driven church. Luckily, it was one where the pastor was still very biblical, and I got some sound teaching there. Unfortunately, some things that we saw behind the scenes, along with a Perry Noble worshiping back office, caused my now wife and I to leave. In our search for a new church, we found after a couple of months that the church that we were attending had an emergent pastor. When he started quoting emergence and material from the ooze on his Facebook page, I already had a vague idea that the emergent church was mostly a front for liberal political agenda. So we uh, quickly got out of there. Amen. Thank you. I'm glad you did. Yeah. Yeah. If your pastor is quoting the ooze favorably, you know, we quote the ooze here at Fighting for the Faith not favorably no we this we hold it up as an example of the thing that you should run away from so i'm glad that you guys were able to get out of there for a young christian you're already showing some discernment anyway we continue um lynn says at this point we went to elevation in the main campus it's right down the road from us and found some of stephen furtick's sermons to be good but something that i couldn't quite put my finger on was bothering me about the place I happened to be doing my first day of volunteering when he preached his Sun Stand Still sermon, so I heard it three times in a few hour period. I, I, I Lynn, I am very sorry to hear that. <laughs> I could barely sit through it once. Anyway, let me continue. <laughs> oh, this sounds like a, I mean, I would rather be waterboarded. Anyway, we continue. Soon after that, I discovered your show where you analyzed the sermon, and I got it. It was, the, it was the fact that he was talking about how stupid it is for us to pray, thy will be done. Even though Jesus taught us, this is how you should pray. I had already started reading the Sun Stand Still book and then immediately tossed it into the part of the bookcase where I throw a lot of stuff that I won't read unless I'm really bored. I want to thank you for helping me to put it into words exactly what was bothering me about elevation. There were a lot of things, but this attitude of Furtick know, that Furtick knows better than God based on his unquestionable vision, etc., there's a long story of other things that happened there that uh, would make you vomit, but I will spare you that. Uh, but... Uh, I'm glad that he didn't give me the details. The story does have a happy ending, though. Thanks to becoming a regular listener and some good research by my wife, we are now attending a very small church in Matthews, North Carolina, that is composed largely of apologetics geeks. Well, that can't be bad. Uh, Many are attending seminary at Southern Evangelical Seminary, where I've looked into uh, pretty well in the past, and I know they follow a very conservative view of the Bible based in fact and not in strange feelings or visions, and a straightforward conservative worldview. The pastor only teaches what is found in the Scripture, and it's 1,000 times more convicting and glorifying of Jesus than anything I ever heard from Furtick or the emerging pastor I was mentioning before. Thanks again for your work. I know you catch a lot of criticism for what you do. Yes, I do. But I have learned a ton from listening to you and will continue to do so, Lynn. Lynn, thank you for the uh, fine email. Great story, and I'm very thankful that uh, God has uh, allowed me to serve you in such a way that uh, he opens your eyes to compare what people were saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and this drove you to find a church where you're being fed God's Word for real and uh, not being part of some big show. 
Okay. Moving along here. Um, I got an email from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Oh. I've got a sermon. I, I have a I have a sermon that I need to play from him sometime either this week or next week. I've been, you know, with you know, anyway. I've been trying to catch up. Kimblegate kind of threw me back a, a little bit, but uh, and then we had the holiday. But uh, anyway, uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley writes. He says, "Dear Chris, I must take issue." Now, see, when Pastor Charmley starts an email and he says he's going to take issue with me, you know, there's something good coming. Okay, he does some fact-checking for me, and uh, this is very interesting. He says, I'm afraid uh, with your claim that in posing the question, would a man who lives only for himself and is a racist, etc., get into heaven just because he said a prayer? This is referring to James Chong's uh, sermon, okay? Uh, remember the, uh, the Christianity worth believing in James Chong? Anyway, uh, Pastor Charmley's taking issue with something that James Chong said, that basically said that uh, a man who... Uh, would a man who lives only for himself and is a racist, etc., get into heaven just because he said a prayer? James Chong is beating up a straw man. Would to God that he was. Sadly, this teaching, non-lordship salvation, as it is called, actually passes for doctrine in some segments of American evangelicalism. Now, this, now what I said is, is that Chong was beating up a straw man. That's not actually what the Bible teaches. And... Uh, well, Pastor Charmley is informing me here that there's actually a theological stream, and it, it goes by the name of non-lordship salvation, okay? Um, he says, uh, of course it's not biblical, so the answer is no. Christian faith, watch the verb tenses in John's gospel, is not a punctiliar thing. Uh, that way, uh, that one may once believe and then abandon the gospel and still remain saved, as the non-lordship advocates claim it is ongoing. This is why Calvinists talk of the perseverance of the saints. What that means is that true Christians will persevere in the faith and repentance all of their li- all their lives long. This is different from once saved, always saved, which is the claim that once one has made a confession and said the sinner's prayer, one is saved, no matter whether one perseveres or not. This latter teaching is false and terrible as it discourages evangelism of those who give no sign of being Christians but once made a profession. Your mentor, Rod Rosenblatt, contributed to a book edited by, edited by Michael Horton entitled Christ the Lord, uh, published by Baker Bookhouse, Bookhouse in 1992, that deals with the issue from a Reformation perspective. I believe this false teaching has been more influential in America than in the UK. It's a shame that Chowng did not meet with the book. Thank you. Know, in the name of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Great email. And, and what, noted, you're, I, I will keep that in mind here. So it's just that it's not biblical, but there's, you know, it makes me wonder if James Chowng had come under the influence of the no lordship salvation, guys. Okay, Joshua writes, and I, oh boy, I, I, hang on a second here. Joshua wrote me on Facebook, and I need to go figure out where he's from. Hang on, I'm going on to Facebook right now as we speak, and I will not uh, be tempted to take a look at uh, my Farmville updates. Um, <laughs> oh boy, uh, you know, it, I got to tell you, you know, with having as many uh, friends on Facebook as I have, the whole Farmville thing, I, I feel like I'm cheating. I... <laughs> I get so many uh, gifts from my listeners that I, I think that it's uh, I, I I think that 
the folks over at Zynga are going to have to conclude that um, I'm up to no good because apparently I'm uh... <laughs> anyway. Yeah, okay, so, you know, I, I'm just moving up the uh, the Farmville ranks rather quickly. And it's not that I'm trying that hard. It's, you know, it's just that I get all this free stuff from people. Okay, Joshua writes, and he is from Silver Grove, Kentucky. He says, I'm listening to the podcast on dubious discernment. Did Ingrid really say that it's a sin to associate with sinners? That was a quote from the, uh, the her episode. And um, tr- let's try to put the best construction on it. I think what Ingrid was trying to say there is, is that we don't want to associate with people who are uh, who profess to be Christian brothers, but are, are who are in flagrant and unrepentant sin. I think that's what she was referring to. And by the way, it's, the biblical standard isn't association. It's not that we don't associate with them. It's that we don't have fellowship with them, koinonia. And you got to understand what Christian fellowship is. Christian fellowship occurs when you when you show up in a congregation to feed on the Lord's word and 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 the Lord's supper and to you know and 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 pray together and and fellowship together that's what that's all about uh the biblical standard you know if we if we can't associate with uh the the biblical standard when it comes to heretics is not that we don't associate with them it's that we don't have fellowship with them anyway uh, Joshua says, well, he says, okay, well, if I can't associate with sinners, if that's the case, I must warn you that by her definition, you should not associate with me at all, including Facebook friendship, commenting on any of my comments or posts, maybe even reading your emails on the air. And the reason for this is that I am a sinner in desperate need of a savior. You know what, though, Joshua, you and I are both in the same camp. Now, here's the deal. If I can't associate with sinners, then I have to disassociate myself with myself. It's not that I just have to dis- I, I can't associate with you. I can't associate with me. Cuz I I are the problem. Yeah. Um what did Paul say? I mean, you ever notice the apostle Paul the closer he gets to his death, the more he talks about how wretched of a sinner he is. I mean, during the it, when in the pastoral epistles, you know, you as he's drawing near to his execution, he says, "I'm the chief of sinners." You know, the, the more you live, the more you live the Christian life, the more you read God's word and you see what it is that God's holy and righteous law demands of you, the more you are aware of just how miserably you fall short. And now compound that miserable falling shortness. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but I miserably fall short of the glory of God on a daily basis. And you know, now that I'm 42 years old. You know, I've got 42 years of falling short. I can only imagine what another 30 years is going to do. Oh, man. I mean, by the end, I, I, I might need depression meds. But, you know, I don't need depression meds. The reality is, is that the more I'm aware of my sin, the more I am aware of just how amazing God's grace and mercy for me is because of Christ. Anyway, let me get back to Joshua's point. Okay, see, so Joshua has said that he's a a desperate sinner in need of a Savior. You have one. He says, if you take my life and measure it up to the Ten Commandments, I'm guilty on all counts. You and me both, my friend. He says, or if you measure it up to the love of God with all of your heart and and love your neighbor as yourself, I'm guilty on all counts. 
Yeah, we're both in the same camp there, too. However, I know one who has died for all of my sins, and his name is Jesus. Joshua couldn't agree more. Great email. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, and here's the deal. When it comes to biblical separation, okay, when it comes to biblical separation, we Christians are not to be in fellowship with those who profess that they're Christians and are in unrepentant, egregious sin, including the sin of idolatry, okay? That does not mean that we cannot talk to them. It does not mean that we can't befriend them. It does not mean we can't sit them down at Starbucks and say, dude, you got to repent. This is horrible. You know, it, it doesn't mean that you give them the cold shoulder and say, talk to the hand. No, 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 no. In fact, let me, um, let me give you a, a great verse, one that a lot of people are not aware of when it comes to this. And uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Let me get the chapter and verse for you real quick. Hang on a second here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, okay? Listen to this. Listen to this, and let me put it in context. I'll back it up to verse 6. Paul writing to uh, the Thessalonian churches, Now we command you, brothers, in in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because uh, we do not have the right to uh, to give you in ourselves an example to imitate, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such, a pers- now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. You're going, wait a second, it sounds like Paul's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah, it does, And and, until you look it up in the Greek. Let me read it for you again. Uh, uh, Chapter 3, verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not uh, grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Do not have anything to do with him. Uh, that basically the uh, the Greek word there basically means don't be mixed together with him. They we're, we're, that's talking about Christian fellowship. If somebody is walking in idleness or they're in egregious unrepentant sin, the idea is is that they are not to ha- they're not to be in Christian fellowship with you. But you don't regard him as an enemy. Instead, you warn him as a brother. I think that's a great example of of what the biblical admonition here is, is that, you know, we're in the world, we're not of the world. We don't have fellowship with those who are heretics, yet we warn them as brothers. We warn them, you know, and, yeah, call them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Okay, Um, let's see. Last email. Running a bit long. It's okay. 
my program. I can go to the commercial when I want to. Uh, Brandon writes, Brandon is from Albert Lee, Minnesota. And uh, this is uh, regarding dubious discernment, the dubious discernment episode. And Brandon writes, he says, Chris, I was really out of touch and not up to date at all on the the whole thing between you and Dan Kimball and those who had concerns for quite some time. I think I caught the first real wind of it two weeks after the fact, and since I'm a podcast listener, it took a while for me to catch up. It happened. I happened to hear the other side from those who had their concerns first, and after listening to your program for over a year, I couldn't believe what I was hearing from them. They were making it sound like you had gone off the deep end and were possibly even outside the church. Yes, they were. And that's one of the reasons why I had to... I had to clarify the record, but I also needed to make sure that I had to, that I clarified things in a way that showed that you know I, I'm not at, at war with these folks I, with that that had these concerns. I understand what they were saying, but I mean you you don't I I didn't ever leave Christianity. In fact, I never even changed my position. I was being consistent. Anyways, he says, so then I listened to your side of the story and did my own research and compared all the evidence. Brandon, well done. Uh, Before I say anything else, it's exactly what you should do. You even compare what I say to the facts. Just because I say it doesn't mean it's true. I am a sinner. I am screwed up. I am capable of egregious mistakes. I am capable of deception. And so you have to compare even what I'm saying in the name of God to the word of God. And if I'm making a claim, you've got to go and you've got to check the evidence. So, Brandon, you get an A. In fact, if uh, if you are in, to Farmville, let me know and uh, I'll send you a Farmville gift. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to put that in there. Anyway, he, he continues. He says, now that I'm up to date. I've got to say that I have a lot of respect for the way that you handled your interaction and friendship with Dan Kimball, as well as how you handled the controversy that quickly ensued. I'm not trying to patronize you, but all of this has taught me an invaluable lesson. There is definitely a huge difference between true, loving, biblical discernment and simply wanting to find fault and place blame and condemn people in a witch hunt. Yeah, there really is. And if I've ever created the impression that I'm just about placing blame and condemning it on a witch hunt, then then I am sorry. If that's if that's what you've thought that I've been doing on this program, I have to apologize. Because I haven't clearly communicated then in that case, and I've created an impression about myself that isn't true. I'm not about placing blame and condemning and being on a witch hunt. That's not what I'm about at all. Anyway, so it says, now, that I th- now I think I'm seeing where the term heresy hunter comes from. It has caused me to seriously question my own motives in discerning and testing everything. I also have concerns about Dan Kimball, but want to handle it in a reasonable fashion. It was truly sad, however, to see the use of bad logic, quotes ripped out of context, and guilt-by-association arguments that truly proved nothing other than these people didn't care about the real truth, but simply the judgment that they had come to 
before hearing all of the evidence. It hurts me to see these otherwise good-intentioned people hold such prejudice that they would stoop to the levels of those whom they are trying to defend the truth from in the first place. Yeah, I, I and Brandon, I think that's a keen observation. And uh, it reminds me of uh, the Apostle Paul's condemnation of uh, those you know, of similar types of attitudes and problems when it comes to religious sins in uh, I think it's Romans chapter 2 where he says you who uh you who preach against idolatry do you rob temples you who preach against stealing do you steal you know that the same thing if you're if you're going to teach against heresy and warn the church against uh deception you can't 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 use deception to defend the church against deception. That's, yeah, that's a no-no. Anyway, he says, he continues, I'm saddened by this display of unreasonable and stubborn contempt. At this point, it seems that they have no repentance for the sins they've committed against Dan, you, and against God himself. Now, I agree at the at the moment there there isn't, I haven't seen any evidence of repentance, but that's not to say that God isn't working repentance in them. I don't know, and I'm praying for that end. I really, truly am. We continue, says, They seem to only be digging themselves in deeper, trying to do anything they can to avoid humbling themselves and simply repenting and asking for forgiveness. Which, by the way, I'm guilty of doing that so many times in my life, I've lost count. How about you? I understand that it's embarrassing to have to admit that you're wrong. It... But that's really what confessing and being forgiven is all about. It's about changing your mind and saying, you know what? I'm not all of that. I'm, I fall short. I have fallen short. And asking for forgiveness and being forgiven and moving on. The reality is, is that my hope and prayer for, you know, Ingrid and Deb Dombrowski is that they would repent, that they would ask for forgiveness because I can tell you I can tell you right now I wouldn't withhold it even for a second. And I truly do appreciate the, the work that they've done in defending the Christian faith. Their zeal for the truth is to be commended, not to be condemned. In this case though, they've 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 gone too far. In this case, they have sinned. And the right thing to do in this case is to model the gospel in action by repenting, asking for forgiveness, and being forgiven. That's all, I mean, and the reality is is that you don't lose credibility when you do that. In Christianity, that's exactly how you gain credibility. And this is why over and again I've said throughout this whole thing, I could be wrong. <laughs> show, show me from the Scriptures where I'm, where I'm in error, and I'll repent. Anyway, we continue. Uh, uh, Brandon says, I pray for their repentance and that God would melt their hardened hearts and open their blinded eyes. Very good prayer. Please keep praying it. How sad it is indeed to see the deception which they have engaged in uh, now turn into self-deception. I have lost much respect for some of the voices which I used to trust and admire uh, because of their dishonesty, blatant deception, and ridiculous claims. That hurts, and I pray that they will come to their senses and do what they need to do, which is repent and offer a public apology for their wrong actions. That would be the only thing they could do at this point that would actually give me more respect for them than I had before. 
I'm going to be very intentional in, to learn from this lesson and always check the facts as well as always be sure about the accusations I make in the future. By the grace of God, proper discernment brings great honor and glory to the name of Christ as it exposes deception and gives us the perfect opportunity to teach the truth and to preach the gospel. Dubious discernment only brings dishonor and shame to Christ and his body, and we truly need to be discerning and to check everything that is said in the name of God against the word of God. Hear, hear, amen. It says, I know that I am not perfect and I make mistakes too, but that is why I am also so thankful that in the Christian faith alone resides the power of the forgiveness of sins by grace alone, through faith alone, for the sake of the death and resurrection of Christ alone. Even the sin of dubious discernment and bearing false witness against our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for the godly and biblical example you have set in this difficult situation. I appreciate the work that you're doing to set an example of what biblical discernment should look like. This situation has made it clear to me that this is desperately needed in the discernment camp. I needed it too. Thank you, Brandon from Alberta, Lee in Minnesota. Brandon, thank you for the email, and also thank you for the clear preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in your email. Again, this is all about the gospel. Discernment ultimately boils back down to the gospel. And where things go wrong is when somebody's newfangled ideas or zealousness or whatever points us away from Christ and points us in a different direction. And this is one of the reasons why on my program I make sure to play long, long, long quotes and full sermons whenever possible so that you can hear in context what people are saying but I don't leave you there. I got to point. I got to say, this is wrong. Here's what God's word says. And furthermore, let me point you to Christ. Let me point you to Jesus. Because over and again, in all of the bad stuff that's being preached in the pulpits nowadays, what's happening is that people are being pointed away from Christ and him crucified for our sins and being pointed in a different direction. And that different direction many times has them merging onto the multi-lane highway that's leading towards destruction. And so we must call out the false teaching and the false teachers so that we can ankle tackle these folks so they don't end up in hell. I don't want to end up there, and neither do you, and you don't want your neighbor to end up there. Great email. Okay, we're long past due for our uh, first break. <laughs> So when we come back, just so you know, I'm not cheating you. We we really, really went long in this first segment here. We're going to come out of the break, do a little bit of work, and then we're going to go into our second break, and it's going to be really short. It's not that I'm cheating you. It's just that I'm not managing my time properly because, oh, I have a cold, and I'm on DayQuil, and that explains everything. So there. <laughs> If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition of Fighting for the Faith, Relevance Schmelevance, we preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. You out there! For to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer! Shut up! Definitely sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, there's, no, there's no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? 
Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death. What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time! I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something! If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way! Just open the Bible and read it! Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, dubious discernment in witch hunts is not how you defend the truth. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith on a monthly basis. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can make a one-time contribution by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send that along to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, uh, you know what? I haven't done this in a while. Let's... Uh... From the Telegraph in the UK... Headline reads, uh, Lord Carey, Christianity is being airbrushed from society as Christmas is rebranded. Ah, yes, don't you just love the uh, the kickoff of the Christmas shopping season? 
every year. Apparently, you know, this is the time when people hang mistletoe, decorate their homes with charming, twinkly, Christmassy lights, sing Christmas carols, and you know, and, and what are they, what's the other thing? You know, warm up chestnuts and you know, on an open fire and all those kinds of wonderful. And then, and then the television news stations begin the Christmas wars. <laughs> You've got different people sending out press releases saying to boycott this store. If they, if Walmart's people don't say Merry Christmas, instead they say Happy Holidays, you are supposed to, you know, to walk out without paying or something. I, you know, I, I, I just, oh boy. <sighs> yeah, I just am not all that thrilled with supposedly being a warrior in the Christmas Wars. Uh <sighs> As a result of it, um, I don't get bent out of shape when the lady at Walmart or the local supermarket or at the post office or whatever says happy holidays. Um, it's not like Christians are the only people that go shopping there. Um, and there are other religions and uh, pseudo religions that have um, holiday observations during this time of year. And so, I mean... You know, wouldn't that be just awkward? I mean, you know, somebody says Merry Christmas and it turns out the person there is, you know, a blonde-eyed, blue-eyed Muslim. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed Muslim. You you understand what I'm saying? It just wouldn't. Yeah, that would create an awkward moment. And so, yeah, I don't care. I just, I don't care what the lady at Walmart says. It's not Walmart's job to preach the gospel. By the way, I'm off on a tangent before I even read the article. I have no idea what the article says, by the way. <laughs> Just commenting because I'm trying to get this off my chest. So here's the deal. Okay, we get all bent out of shape and we're, we're, we're being enlisted. Basically asked to become warriors in the Christmas wars. To force Walmart to say Merry Christmas. To, you know... Um, I don't care if Walmart says it. I don't care if The Gap says it. I don't care if Macy's says it. I don't care. And it's, you know what, if Christians are going to get all bent out of shape about the fact that the, the lady at the checkout stand at Walmart doesn't say Merry Christmas, could we clean our own house first, please? Because there's a whole slew of churches where this Christmas, yeah, that 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 these packed mega churches, they're not going to hear God's word or the gospel. In fact, you know, standard operation, standing standard operating procedure for uh, mega churches is when Christmas falls on Sunday, you just take the Sunday off. You don't even go to church. And uh, and we're all, we're getting all bent out of shape because the lady at Walmart doesn't say Merry Christmas. Can you say, like, we've got the emphasis on the wrong syllable? I mean, seriously, I don't care if Walmart preaches the gospel or says Merry Christmas. I don't care. Walmart isn't the church. And uh, yeah, just anyway, this is from the Telegraph in the UK, so this isn't even a U.S. story. <laughs> I'm. Already off on my own tangent because I haven't even read even like the byline for this uh, <clears throat> story. Anyway, it's just one of those things. I just, you know, I'm sure somebody's going to think I've left Christianity because I'm not willing to jump into the Christmas wars. 
I want to preach the gospel. I want to preach Christ and him crucified for our sins. And I always marvel at this. Go to your mall. Go to your local mall sometime in the next you know week or so. And hopefully at a time when there's not like a gazillion people there because I would ne- I would never encourage you to go to your mall when there's a gazillion people at the mall. I d- I get claustrophobic in really large crowds like that. But it always amazes me that, you know, I've I've been able during the Christmas seasons to do my Christmas shopping during off hours when there's not a lot of people there. And it's just amazing to me. It's surreal walking around an American mall listening to Christmas carols being sung. You know, they're being piped in, you know, know, over the loudspeaker. And you you hear these amazing songs, and the lyrics are proclaiming the wonders of God. That God becomes becomes man in Jesus Christ. I mean, listen to some of the lyrics that are being piped into your local mall. And so, while people who probably don't even you know a lot of people, they're just you know culturally doing the Christmas thing because everybody does the Christmas thing and. And they care less about the Jesus. They just know they got to get their Christmas shopping done, you know, in order to keep the economy running, you know, because Christmas is all about capitalism. Anyway, um, if you know, you wouldn't want the whole country to go to hell in a handbasket, I mean, you know, it's a bad. It's a, you know, the 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 economy's kaput if people don't spend their money at Christmas. But anyway, while people are doing their their capitalist duty uh, to keep the economy rolling during uh, the Christmas season. What happens when they're do- they? You hear these amazing Christmas carols, which are hymns, proclaiming the wonders of God in human flesh. And I just, I just, I, I did this last year. I was sitting at our local mall here in, in, in Indianapolis. You know, one of the one of the malls I've gone to is a, um, it's a really nice mall, by the way. It's, it's Keystone, and um, they they have place where you can sit down and enjoy a Starbucks coffee and and you know open your laptop and there's Wi-Fi there and I was sitting there enjoying a cup of coffee watching the Christmas shoppers going by the whole time there were very overt hymns being sung about Jesus being piped in and I just sat there and went holy guacamole this is crazy it's just nuts I mean, <laughs> these <laughs> these people are hearing the gospel being sung to them while they're Christmas shopping, and they're completely oblivious to it. I mean, wow. <laughs> Talk about having ears but not hearing, eyes that don't see. Anyway, <clears throat> maybe I should just get to the story. Anyway, the, um, this was written by Tim Ross, who's a, a religious affairs editor for The Telegraph in the U.K., uh, Britain's Christian culture is under attack as faith is airbrushed from society, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Lord Carey, has warned. Oh, gasp. Here we go. All right. By the way, I'm, I, you know I'm going to chime in on this, and already you can kind of tell, what, what, where are you going with this, Chris? Just hang on. <clears throat> Tim Ross writes, he says, Even Christmas is being rebranded as a secular festival because councils, politicians, and businesses are ashamed of its true religious meaning, said Lord Carey. Carey's remarks came as he launched a national campaign to promote the right of Christians to express their beliefs in public 
and at work in a new leaflet to be distributed to thousands of homes across the country. The former archbishop said the rich legacy of Christianity in Britain was under attack. Quote, in spite of having contributed so much to our civilization and providing its foundation, the Christian faith is in danger of being stealthily and subtly brushed aside, he said. Mounting evidence of the trend included teachers and council employees who have been suspended for offering to say a prayer for peoples in difficulties. A nurse who was banned from wearing a cross and a British Airways worker told to remove her crucifix. Quote, this attempt to airbrush the Christian faith out of the picture is especially obvious as, Christi as Christmas approaches, Lord Carey said. The local council switches on winter lights in place of Christmas decorations. Even Christmas has become something of which some are ashamed. Okay, now, <clears throat> let me point something out here. What Lord Carey is describing is really happening. This is so true. But... um. You, you may be surprised to think who I think's at fault. Are the politicians at fault because they're ashamed of Christ, of the Christian roots? No. You know who I think is primarily at fault? The Christian church for not doing what they're supposed to do, proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. There's none. You're not born... A Christian, you're not. There, yeah, the gospel's got to be preached to everybody. Yep, everybody. And as a result of it, when Christians, you know, well, when Christianity becomes cultural, and you know, and just like you know, part of the the backdrop of our lives, and we nary hear a word about sin and repentance and the forgiveness of sins because of what Christ has done for us by being scourged, beaten, bruised, crucified, pierced, and killed for our transgressions and raised again on the third day for our justification. When Christianity is reduced to basically a moralistic do-good kind of religion to make bad people better people, um... Well, this is what happens. What does Jesus say? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for except to be thrown outside and trampled underfoot? Yeah, what we need is salty Christianity. You're going, salty? Yeah, salty Christianity. Salty with the blood of Christ. Do you ever taste blood, how salty it is? That's what we need. We need drip, blood-drenched, salty Christianity that calls repentance, uh, sinners to repentance in the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and stops bellyaching about the fact that, oh, the culture is trying to airbrush out Christianity. Well, duh. People are dead in trespasses and sins by nature. They're at war with God. You think they're going to want to be at peace with Christianity? No. So we've got to proclaim the gospel. Use the time of Christmas as not as a means to sit there and say, now make sure that the important thing you do during Christmas is to say to people, Merry Christmas. Well, that doesn't do anything because people aren't going to be saved because you said Merry Christmas. Use it as an opportunity to talk about how God became 
a man in Jesus Christ, and we're celebrating the birth of the God-man who came to bear our sins, to live a perfect life under the Mosaic law in our place for us, and that he died and was crucified for our sins. Talk about the Jesus in the manger who goes to the cross and tell people it was for them because of their wretched sinfulness, that they we've got we've got these angel we've got these angels proclaiming we've got good news good news for unto you is born a savior tell them who the savior is and why we needed one and you know what god the holy spirit will use your preaching of the gospel and the telling of the story of the savior to bring wretched sinners to repentance and the forgiveness of sins, that they too might go to Bethlehem and bend the knee and worship our King, Jesus, who was born for us, that we recognize and remember at this time. But if all you're going to do is browbeat them about the fact they said happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas, shame on you. If you're going to sit there and complain about how the society is airbrushing out Christianity, well, duh. Because we're all born dead in trespasses and sin and at war with God. Browbeating sinners for doing what sinners do is like silly. You've been given a task. Proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Tell the story this Christmas. Tell the story of why we needed a Savior. Tell the story of who Jesus is. And don't just tell it to yourselves. Tell it to your pagan neighbors who need to hear it. Because for them, a Savior was born on Christmas morn. You see what I'm saying? Maybe I'm just crazy. I just, you know, anyway. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is um, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sermon review on the other side of the break. Maybe I need to go take some more day quill. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We're back. Hour number two, Fighting for the Faith, Sermon Review Time. Oh, boy. I want you to listen to how long it takes for the Bible to actually appear in this sermon. Ugh, man. I'm cringing at the thought of doing this sermon review. Let's dive into it. I'll get my hip boots on. good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. <sighs> Today's sermon? Yeah, notice the question mark. Today's sermon comes to us via the Champion Center, otherwise known as Lakewood North. <laughs> They're in Seattle, Washington. Uh, pastor, I don't know, self-help motivational speaker dude, um, Kevin Gerald. The name of the sermon is Breaking Free, Part 4. This is just head-bangingly bad. It's almost, it's, this is as bad as doing a uh, Joel Osteen sermon. <sighs> Hang on, I gotta gird my loins. All right, loins are girded. Let's kill the music. So without any further ado, here is Kevin Gerald, and I want you to pay attention to how long it takes for this guy to actually even begin to bring in the Bible. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, it has been a long time since I've been able to play the gospel nugget sound. Here's the gospel nugget sound in case you've forgotten. Well, hang on a second. No, no, here it is. Yeah, we we early early days here at Fighting for the Faith, we would note that the gospel, you know, somehow the gospel was mentioned in a sermon, and we would note the speed at which it came in and flew out. Um, now, this sermon it doesn't do. I, you know, I don't even know if there's a gospel nugget in this thing, but it, it's been a long time since we played the gospel nugget. And what I've noticed is is that God's word now in many sermons is the thing that's the nugget. You know, it, it, I almost feel like, you know, we got to change this from gospel nugget to 
the Bible nugget. You know, how quickly does the Bible nugget come in and go out? You know, but uh, this sermon, he well, he does more than just a Bible nugget, but he, I mean, we don't even get to the Bible at all, even though he tortures it, twists it, mangles it, completely misses the whole point of it. Um, we, I don't even think it makes an appearance until the halfway point in the sermon. It, it, up until that point, I mean, this is like poor Richard's almanac, you know, the kind of sayings that you can get from like Ben Franklin. I, I'm not kidding. Anyway, uh, here is <clears throat> Kevin Gerald motivational speaker, not a pastor. This guy is no way he's a pastor. Uh, but here we go from the champion center, otherwise known as Lakewood Northwest. Yeah. Up there in Seattle message from Kevin Gerald communication. Resource yourself at kevingerald.tv and get equipped to live a successful Christian life. You'll find everything you need from books and videos to MP3 downloads, leadership tools, and more. Now let's get started. Grab your Bibles if you would today. This is week four of Breaking Free 40-Day Challenge. Over a thousand... This is like Joel Osteen meets Rick Warren. Breaking free 40-day challenge. Oh, brother. A thousand people are attending small groups, going through the DVD-led program. So if Rick Warren and Joel Osteen were to get together and have a love child, it would be Kevin Jarrett. <laughs> That's designed to help all of us to, to find direction and to find workable practical solutions for our lives and to help us make better choices in our finances. I, I don't need a pastor for that. I just need a really good financial planner. And by the way, if you're going to your pastor for financial advice, yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, seriously, when you, you let's say you're suffering from a sinus infection, maybe you think that you have a really bad sinus infection. Do you go to your banker and say, you know, I I think I have a sinus infection. Could you take a look at this, please? Your banker would look at you and go, what are you talking about? I'm not a doctor. I'm a banker. And if you were to go to your doctor and say, you know, doc, you know, I've just got some questions about my 401k and whether or not I have it, you know, whether or not my investment portfolio is properly diversified. Your doctor would sit there and go, open your mouth and say, ah, and stop talking about your portfolio. You don't go to your pastor to give you financial advice. That's not what they're trained to do. That's... <clears throat> so already we've got a problem here. I think most people are like me. You're, you're tired of hearing all the negative, gloom and doom economic kind of news that we've been hearing over the last three, four years. And what's even worse is a feeling of helplessness or hopelessness that we can't do anything about our circumstances. We're not buying into that. Come on, we're not buying into that. People are saying, come on and amen. Um, <clears throat> Kevin, isn't this supposed to be a church? Um, yeah, I, 
if my pastor were to get up on a Sunday morning and say this statement, these statements that you're making, we're sick and tired of the doom and gloom thing about the financial sector. You know, we're going to do something about it. I'd sit there and go, would you just put all that stuff away and open up the Bible and be quiet? Just read the word and stop talking about this other stuff. That's I don't go to church to get somebody... So, Get me all fired up about the economy. Who cares? I'm at church. I'm supposed to be hearing about Christ and him crucified for our sins. Supposed to be hearing God's word preached in context. And yeah, maybe I'm just too old school. At Champion Center, there's always something we can do. So we've stood up and over a thousand people have gotten involved. And I just want to compliment everybody who has made a choice to reposition yourself financially. Congratulations if you're one of those people. Way to go. You've made a, what? Made a decision to reposition yourself financially? Is this some MLM meeting? Are you, are you selling Amway? Come on. To, are you trying to get people in your downline? I, 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 you can level with me, Kevin. And I want to thank all of you who are also involved in supporting. I think some of you, when we announced and talked about doing this, some of you said, well, you know, actually, Pastor, I'm doing pretty good, and I don't need a program like that. But then when I encourage you to go and show your support to other people and just be a part of a group and to realize that a lot of times just your presence could be a source of encouragement to other people, then some of you joined in at that point. And I want to thank you for going, even if you went just, just for that reason. Thank you to our whole church family, to over a thousand people who every week getting together on a small group basis. God bless you. And you know, I think what happens is people who have put themselves in that position have also discovered and found out and realized that we can all learn a little something, right? So last week... What, what is so good about this? Why are people amening him? No... Um, he hasn't said anything that's biblically true. This week was decision week. This week is action week. And I want you right now, if you would, I hope you have something to write with, something to take notes with. I think I'm going to say something worth remembering. That's the plan, okay? Uh, well, I hope you open up the Bible and actually preach what it says. That's what I'm hoping for. I'd like everyone to just pray out loud. Say this with me. My heart's open. My mind's ready. Make me better. Make me better, God. Today, in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, make me better, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I hang on. I got to bang my head against the desk. You know, you know, that actually clears my sinuses up. Wow. Seriously? I mean, this is such a cheap Joel Osteen knockoff. It's not even funny. Ah. I want to talk to you today about being a doer. Being a doer. And I want to begin by asking you to answer this riddle. Three frogs are sitting on a lily pad. What? <laughs> Riddle me this. Three frogs are sitting on... 
By the way, I just want to let you know this riddle about the three frogs, it's not in the Bible. Just you know, in case you're if you were, you know, you don't believe me, look it up. One decides to jump off. How many frogs remain on the lily pad? If you said three, you are right. Deciding to jump off and doing it are two completely different things. Oh, that's so deep. That's You've got to be kidding me. Seriously? The people have woken up on a Sunday morning and driven to church to hear this drivel? Yep, that's right. The the Christian church has fallen to stupid. Unbelievable. See, some people are still sitting on lily pads that they decided to jump off. <laughs> it's got to be the cold meds. This is... <laughs> I mean, seriously... I, I'm sitting here going, Satan has these people in his clutches, and they're eating up dumb. That means, really? I mean, holy cow. What's that one movie, Idiotocracy? I think that's applicable here. Some people watch things happen. Some people make things happen. Some people wonder what happened. Uh, <laughs> what Bible verse is that? It's just the nature of three frogs sitting on a lily pad. Right. Because this is what you're supposed to be preaching on Sunday morning. Right. You're taking notes, write this down. Number one, everyone has two lists. One is our intentions, and the other is our actions. The intentions list is the list of what we want to do, what we have decided to do but haven't started doing. The action list, is what we're actively engaged in and currently doing. No, really? <laughs> I mean, isn't that just like the definition of those? Never mind. The idea of being a doer is to clearly distinguish the difference in these two lists and to transition the intention list over to the doer list. You know, a lot of people... I mean, people are saying amen to this. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I could get this just about anywhere. I can get this out of Franklin Covey time management course. And that's run by the Mormon Stephen Covey. <sighs> ...are in the habit of procrastinating. And when we procrastinate, we blur the lines between intention and action. 
and it can be extremely is that a sin extremely deceptive in fact when you're procrastinating a person who procrastinates can count literally count their intentions as actions Woo. the lines get so blurred but that that people often judge themselves based on intentions <laughs> oh yeah that's good this is just silly and, and what's really scary about this is that people often judge themselves by their intentions and everybody else by their actions you know what's really scary is that people think that they're actually hearing god's word and that this is Biblical preaching. It ain't. Somebody say, "Uh uh-huh. Come on, I'm talking to you today. Say, "Uh uh-huh. One study I heard about recently said that there's a six-hour window of action. In other words, if you don't do something within six hours... Of, of intending to do it, chances are of you doing it, the chances are it will go down significantly. Oh, that's terrible. What chapter and verse is that again in the Bibles? Yeah. If you don't do something, if you don't like put it on your calendar, if you don't make the phone call, if you don't set up the appointment, if you don't some way somehow move in that direction translate intention into action after a six hour window isn't that amazing after six hours the chances of you actually doing it will go down significantly and you know when i i hear that it makes sense to me i've worked with people for many years and i watch people who intend to do something And in fact, you know, you'll hear, strike while the iron is hot. It's true. There's something to that. That, you know, a lot of times when even God is talking to us and God's working in our life, it's emotional because we're emotional people. It engages our emotions. And a lot of times we won't respond to that because we just want to wait, you know, a little while. And and, and unfortunately, oftentimes the moment to act has come. It was the right thing to do. We're supposed to do it. It's the, it's the action that needs to be taken in our life. But when we put it off, oftentimes we never get back to actually doing it. And oh, what a bane. Oh, that's just awful. Oh, I, wow. I, well, how is the world going to survive? And to top that off, psychology teaches us that when our brains are called upon to make a decision. What teaches us again? Not God's word, but what? Say that word. Psychology. Decision that our brain cells move in such a way as to form what we call a habit. So, in fact, if we're called upon to make a decision, our brain cells go in a particular way. We make a decision to not do something, for example, 
And then what happens is later on when that decision comes back around again, brain cells go into automated motion coming to the same conclusion, which makes it that much harder to make the right decision after we procrastinated or delayed it in the past. Oh, what a bane. This is true, for example, with salvation. People come to... Where does it say this in the Bible? It says that we don't choose God, God chooses us. He gives us faith as a gift. We're dead in trespasses and sins. Yeah, well, don't confuse them with biblical facts. I mean, you know, we haven't heard the Bible yet. Opportunities for salvation. Someone shares their faith with a person. Someone comes to a church service. And, and people get in a moment, a time that is intended by heaven to be their moment of salvation, and they convince themselves, not today, not today, not today. Unfortunately, and you've seen this happen in a lot of people's lives, unfortunately, when they reject the moment, when they procrastinate and put it off, there's a pattern that is formed unconsciously. And where does it say this in the Bible, sir? So that the next time they're in that situation, it's that much harder to make a different decision because the automated formation of our brain cells. God created us to form good habits. All of that's supposed to work in our favor. It's a, Where does the Bible say that, sir? Supposed to work for us. But when we, when we make the wrong choice, the brain cells move, and now we've got a bad habit that is not helping our life. It's so it's not that we're dead in trespasses and sins. It's that we've made a bad decision that caused our brain cells to shift into bad habit mode. So sin is only bad habit deep. Got it. Okay. It's putting us into delay. It's putting us into denial. It's putting us into positions and roles. And we stay there. I watch not only with salvation. I watch it. I watch it when people come to Champion Center, for example, and they see how we, we worship God. We encourage. Which God exactly do you worship? I, I'm confused. Encourage people to clap your hands, to raise your hands, to sing songs, close your eyes, enter into a place of honor that only you can give to God. We create the song, the atmosphere, the opportunity. And I watch people come, and I understand that you know, at first it's different, and people will reason this out. What happens is they reason it out, and they, they're like, you know, we didn't do this at my last church, and why are we doing this at this church? And I don't know. I feel kind of awkward, and I feel funny, and so. I feel gross and sinful and dirty, like, you know, like. I really should go back to my other church because they were actually worshiping God. I'm, I'm not even sure which deity they're worshiping at the Champion Center. Oh, that's right. They're worshiping themselves. Sorry. So I'm just going to stand here. And see, well, that's harmless in the short, you know, in the short term. It forms a habit. And then I watch people in our incredible, encouraging, expression-filled atmosphere. Ten years later, still standing there. 
because they formed. Is he paying people to say amen? This habit, even unconsciously, and haven't broke through even after they know, well, this is what the Bible encourages. This is what the Bible teaches. This is a great opportunity for me to let God know, for me to connect with heaven, let him know I love him, I honor him, I appreciate him, I thank him for all he's doing in my life. This is a time for me to be like David and praise the Lord with all my heart and a time for me to worship him. And What are they clapping about? The things they do? But it's amazing that how this thing happens. Are, are you with me? Where no. intention, we get stuck in intention that doesn't translate into action. Last week, we talked about five decisions that can save your life financially. And I just want to recap on the screen what it looks like when decisions become actions. I want you to, to just see here. Uh, number one was, I said, see yourself as stewarding over God's resources in your life. Well, an action to that looks like this. Turn your life and possessions over to God in prayer. Release it. You know, ask Him to help you manage the resources you have in such a way that you honor Him. Let that leave your mouth. Let that be a prayer you pray and take action. The second thing we said, keep your debts down. Corresponding. Yeah, again, you know, um, um, if I um, if I need financial advice, I go to a financial advisor, not a, yeah. Action is begin now to live within your income. List your debts in the, with the smallest one up to the biggest one. Pay off the smaller first until they're all paid off. The That's just kind of like common sense, don't you think? Um, can I hear about the crucified and risen Savior, please? Third one, we said, is plan your spending and your giving. The action is do a cash flow plan. We did this this week in our... Yeah, I learned how to do that during when I got my MBA. That's great. Thanks. In our small groups, do a cash flow plan. Fill out an iPartner card today. Tithe first, and then as you experience increase in margin, add offerings into your plan with a goal of being a generous... Liberal giver. Somebody shout action. action. Number four, adjust quickly to change so that you maintain margin in your life. Where's the margin passages of the Bible again? I'm not familiar with those. Well, that was a great thing for me to tell you to do that can save your life financially. But what does it look like as an action? It looks like creating margin by decreasing expenses and increasing income. Take steps now. Pick up the telephone and can't. Yeah, again, I could get this advice from just about anybody. Doesn't matter what religion. They Is this a church? Seriously? Cancel some of the things you don't have to have in your life right now. Create some margin on the expense side and, and then apply for some job. If you need a part-time job, get out there. Go for it. Get some added income going in your life so that in the future you're creating margin that can create wealth in your future. And then the fifth thing. Yeah, again, the, um, where is this again in the Bible? Thing we said is prosper from the inside out. Here's how it looks in action form. Develop a daily habit of growing wealthy internally. 
Stop by the resource center today. Pick up some audio tapes, some CD teaching that develops a prosperous mind. Pick up a book today. And then pray. Let it come out of your mouth. And ask God to bless bless me indeed, God. Grant favor in my life, I pray. Give me a blessed life of increase. Engage, in other words, in the in the action part of doing this. This doesn't sound at all selfish and self-centered to you. It sure does sound that way to me. Yeah, I, again, I'm not even familiar. Which God are you talking about, by the way? The second thing that I want you to write down is, is this. There's always resistance between intention and action. There's he's getting more amens. I, I'm, I'm thinking that he's paying people. To say amen, because I, I haven't heard anything worth amening yet. Resistance. I wanted everyone that came to our services this weekend to know you're not alone if you encounter resistance when you're trying to translate an intention into an action. We all encounter resistance. You're not alone. And it comes in many forms. The one Maybe this is the new form of Christian persecution, yeah. You're going to experience persecution when you try to translate intentions into actions. Yeah, because, you know, the devil hates it when you do that. One thing for sure is that it holds you back from what you intend to do. So whatever stands between where you are now and where you want to be is, uh, is resistance. It can be as simple as a ringing telephone that you just need to shut it off so that you can get it done. That thing that you intend to do so that you can do it instead of leaving the phone on and letting the phone ring. Resistance can be as simple as that. It can be as simple as a distraction. And, and you know, I think all of us deal with distractions. I think, I think all of us have focus issues. When it comes to focusing, I, I feel like I can really talk, you know, on this because I put minimum of 20 hours a week preparing for weekends. Really, it took you 20 hours to prepare this abomination of a sermon. What Were you scouring the financial advice websites? How, how did you, re, what were you researching for this sermon? I mean, you weren't. Actually, in the Bible, you know, translating from the original languages. Uh, yeah, have you noticed that God's Word still hasn't shown up yet? Don't worry, it'll show up, but I mean... And to talk to you like this, and I have to focus, and I have to sit myself down somewhere, and those walls get old, and that computer gets old, and my desk gets piled up with books and resources and research and I just want to go. I just want to get up. And many times I have to say, sit, 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 stay, stay, stay. No, no, no. So you talk to yourself like you're a dog? Oh, no. No, 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 no. You got to get it done. No coffee now. No coffee now. You can't have coffee. Stay. Stay, stay. How is this funny? 
I don't know what kind of resistance you encountered. I just want you to know that that's part of this whole translation. You are not alone in this. Persevere. Push through. Take charge. Realize this is your life. Come on, realize you can do this. Why are they clapping? And intention doesn't, doesn't get the job done. It has to translate into action. You got to, as the saying goes, you got to do work, son. You got to do work. You, you got you to hone in. I need a little attitude on that. Do, do work. Do work. Do work. Yeah. Do work, son. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I don't know what that was. A lot of people are going, what is going on? Yep, me being one of them. I love the story of the couple who went to the counselor and and the lady is... Just want to let you know, the story of the counselor and the lady, that's not found in the Bible either. Spilling out, you know, the story and the wife, and she's saying to the counselor, you know, my husband, just he's like nobody's home, he's passive, he's not engaged, nothing's going on. And, and she, first couple sessions, she just pours her heart out to the counselor. And the counselor's talking to the husband, and he's kind of doing this and doing this and grunting every once in a while, and yes, sir, no. Finally, third visit, counselor gets up, walks around the desk, grabs hold of the man's wife, and starts kissing her passionately. Whew, an adultery story. This isn't in the Bible either. On the lips. After a big, long kiss, the counselor walks back around the desk, sits down behind his desk, looks across the desk at the man. He said, sir, what I'm trying to tell you is your wife needs this. She needs it consistently. Can you start like with just a couple times a week? And the guy looks back at him and says, okay, I'll bring her in on Tuesday and Thursday. Yeah, definitely not found in the Bible. Laughing all the way to hell, apparently. Work, son! Fire up! Translate from intention. What's holding you back? Why is it that the intention list is longer, 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 and the action list is basically zero? Is that a sin? Did Jesus die for that? You know why? Because there's resistance between intention and action. But here's what I want you to understand. Write this down, number three. Just, just, this is the beauty of this whole deal, is that God shows up in people's lives when they transfer intention into action. Um, what Bible verse says that? Why do I feel like I'm about to hear adventures in Jesus? So let's continue.
you got to hear me on this. It's when we're in the process of taking big, audacious, obedient steps of faith that opportunities suddenly present themselves. Really, where does it say that in the Bible again? Doors open up. Favor you weren't counting on comes. Strength that you didn't know you had shows up in your life. This week I spent a lot of time just going through stories in the Bible that just came to my mind. I thought of where this was a reality and I was reading. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Here comes the Bible finally. Um, and I was just filling my heart with this reality and this truth. God shows up at the point where people translate intention into action. And I, I would love to like share all of them with you today. But, but time won't allow me. Let, let me tell you about... <laughs> yeah, I know. Just, you wouldn't want to spend too much time actually, you know, reading the Bible. <laughs> Seriously. We're, we are literally... <laughs> we are literally... About 60% of the way through the sermon, 60%. And uh, God's word is just now about to make an appearance. And you had people amening him the whole time on, for what I don't know. Well, let's see what he does with this. So apparently the, these next these next Bible stories are going to prove that God shows up when you turn intentionality into action. So there's no Bible verse that actually says that God will show up when you turn intentionality into action. But apparently these stories prove his point. Well, let's find out what they are. One, there were 10 lepers that came to Jesus to be healed. Okay, so the story of the 10 lepers. <sighs> yeah, well, I'm going to play a little bit while I'm hunting this down in my Bible. Hang on, because he's... Actually, not giving us a Bible, uh, you know, a passage, a verse, or anything like that. So we've got to uh, fill in the missing pieces. So let's let's continue. I'll find it while he's doing that. And Jesus told them to go show themselves to the priest. Okay. Now, in those days, a little bit of background. In those days, if you were a leper, you went to the priest to receive a bill of health. That would allow you back into society. So the priest was kind of like the doctor. That once you felt like you were clean of leprosy, if you felt that way, and you wanted to go back to your home because leprosy had to stay in the leper's colony. If you wanted to go back into society, then you go to the priest, and the priest gave you clearance. So what Jesus was telling them to do was to show themselves to the priest. Okay, found it. Luke 17, if you have your Bible, flip on over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. I'll begin at verse 11. So here's the question. Was the reason that the Holy Spirit had Luke author this section of Scripture was to show us that God is ready to do miraculous things in our lives if we would move things from the intentionality column to the action column. That's basically the gist of of uh, Kevin's uh, pep talk up to this point, sermonar, if you would, 
And uh, let's see if that's what Luke 17, 11 is about. Here we go. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Okay. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice, their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Okay. So these guys are outside of the village and they hear that Jesus is coming and they all cry out. There's 10 lepers. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? No one was found to return to give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So is this story about God coming through when you make a decision to move something from the intentionality column to the action column? No. These guys were active from the beginning. They heard Jesus was coming and they made sure to scream out, help us, help us, have mercy on us. Jesus told them to go. They, As they were going, they were healed. And one of them, a Samaritan, returned to praise God. And Jesus commended him and said that his faith had made him well. This isn't about intentionality into action. It's not at all. But let's see what Kevin does with it. So that they could get re-entrance into society. Problem is, is while they stood there and he told them to do that, they were still lepers. And as they looked at their body, it was obvious that they had leprosy. Jesus told them to go while they were still in that same condition. But the Bible says, while they went. While they went. In other words, they turned toward the temple. And they started walking to where the priest was. And while they went, heaven sprang into action, and they were healed. Uh, I don't see how this supports your point, Kevin, at all. I don't know why people are clapping. I want to ask you a question. What if they had reasoned this out? And instead of taking big, audacious, obedient steps of faith, what if they had looked at their circumstances and said, not going to do that, can't do that, that's silly. I'm not in no position to do that. I'm not going to waste his time, waste our time. See, if they'd have done that, they'd have missed out on a miracle. Yeah, and what if Elvis had been beamed down from the mothership and, you know, and the Hell Bop Comet uh, folks from the uh, from that purple Nike cult had shown up. I mean, whew, what if? The, 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 
if the circumstances were different, then it would have been recorded differently. You're not supposed to preach on the what ifs. You're supposed to preach on the what is. Hey. In their life. I was at a small group meeting this week, and I, I went to I went to attend a small group, and, and I'm just kind of visiting around at some of our groups. And after the meeting this week, a couple began to share with me how thankful they were for Breaking Free. And they said, you know, we made a decision to join Breaking Free. We didn't really know, you know, what, what to do because things aren't really good financially. And the feeling was, you know, we don't really have much to work with. What are we going to learn to do different than we're doing right now? And, but we decided just to do what was in our hands and the opportunity presented itself, and we came. She said, you know, my business that I run was basically dormant and has been for months. Nothing's been happening. But she said, and tears welled up in her eyes, and emotion came in to her, you know, just into the conversation. And she said, but something happened that I can't explain. Ever since we attended the first meeting, my phone has been ringing. Business has been coming. And prayers that we have been praying that we saw no sign of being answered, are suddenly, in an unexplainable way, being answered in our life. And I got all excited as she's telling me this, and I'm saying, you, you do know that's how God, God works, right? That, that, that's that's kind of how he does things. And, and, and I, I started saying, no, this week I'm reading all these stories, and, and I told her the story of the Old Testament about the four lepers who were in Samaria in the time of famine. I said, I just read this today. you got to hear me on this. They were in Samaria, and there was famine in the land, and nobody had any food. And they looked at each other one day, and they said to each other, why sit here? You know why there was famine? It was because the city of Jerusalem was being besieged. He's not even telling the story right. Until we die. There's an enemy camp over here, and they'll probably kill us before we get near the camp. But in the enemy camp, there's, there's food, there's meat, there's cheese, there's bread, there's all. It's all in the enemy camp. What are we doing just sitting here? They were going to turn themselves in. And by the way, you missed an important part. There was a prophecy given to the king of the city. I don't know if it was in Jerusalem. It might have been in Samaria. But anyway, the prophecy was given that they would be able, there would be people eating bread by a certain time the next day. And this is what happened. Ugh. They stood up and in their famished, rib-showing, skinny little thin hungry bodies they started moving toward food where food was oh man he's totally butchering this hang on a second i gotta look this up all right let's see um okay if i type in lepers okay right here right for <laughs> sorry second kings chapter seven if you have your bible flip on over to second kings chapter seven Okay, so, well, you know what, I, need, I wonder if I have to go back into 6 to kind of give even more of the of what was going on here. Um, okay, okay, 
So we've got, yeah, here we go. Yeah, flip on over to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, so we can get the context. Watch this. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse uh, 24. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cob of a doves of doves dung for five shekels of silver. You know things are getting bad when you're paying that kind of money for doves dung. Anyway, now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, "Help my lord, O king." And he said, "If the lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press?" And then the king asked her, "What is your trouble?" She answered, "This woman said to me, "Give give your son so that we might eat him today." And we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day, I said to her, give your son so that we can eat him. But she has hidden her son. Yikes. And when the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall. And the people looked. And behold, he had sackcloth beneath his body. And he said, "Uh, may God do to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Elisha was sitting in the house and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Chapter 7. But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, two seahs of barley, for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So here, okay, so here we got the, the besieging of Samaria. Okay. Things have gotten really, 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 really bad. And what's happened God, the word of the Lord comes to Elisha, and he says, by this time tomorrow, you know, the markets are going to be open and bread's going to be selling cheap, okay? That's the gist of it, okay? This didn't happen because the lepers decided to take a step towards food. This happened because the word of the Lord said so. Now we get to the lepers. The, these are just guys that just were, well, they had walk-on roll in this particular story. Second Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we still, uh, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we'll also die. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall we shall but die. Sound logic. 
So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. Is did they the reason why they fled for their lives is because the um, lepers decided to move from intention to action? You know. The reason why this happened is because the word of the Lord came to Elisha and said that this was going to happen. It just so happens that the lepers were the the people who saw the results of God's actions first. God didn't act because the lepers chose to go from intention to action. The text doesn't say anything of the sort. So, okay, so behold, the army of uh, the king of Israel has hired against us. Got that. Okay, so at verse 8, and when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and they ate and they drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and they went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and then went and hid them. And when they said to one another, we're not doing right, this day is a day of good news. If we are silent or wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, we came to the camp of the Syrians. Behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there. Nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, as it was told within the king's household. And the king arose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we're hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking uh, when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and, and get them into the city. And one of his servants said, some let some men take five of the remaining horses and seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished let us send and see so they took two horsemen and the king and sent after the army of the Syrians saying go and see yeah anything here about moving from intentionality to action was the reason why this miracle took place was was it because the uh, the lepers chose to do something rather than sit around and die? Answer, no. That's not what the text says at all. We continue. Never mind the enemy. Never mind adversity. Never mind the reality of the circumstances. We're just moving in this right direction here. And the Bible says that the Lord caused the people in the camp who were their enemy to hear a loud noise as if, a, as if a, an enemy army was attacking them. They heard sounds of chariots rumbling down the dirt roads. Fear got into the enemy's heart and they, they fled out of the camp immediately, running for their lives. And these four hungry lepers walked in to a camp filled with meat and cheese and bread. The way he tells the story, you'd think that God amplified the sound of the footsteps of the lepers, but that's not what the text says at all. More than enough food 
They went in one day, they went from famine to feasting. I can't tell you why God is this way. I'm just telling you, God works in an atmosphere of faith. I'm just saying, when... Uh, the, where was the faith in that particular set of circumstances? From the, the story I just read, uh, from Second Kings chapter 7, who had the faith again? The only one I could see is Elisha. The lepers didn't act in faith. They acted in despair. The king of Samaria wasn't acting in faith. He didn't even believe the word of the Lord given to Elisha. And you turn and translate intention into bold, audacious, obedient action. That's where God shows up. Exactly again, how were the lepers in uh, 2 Kings 7 uh, demonstrating bold, audacious, whatever you just said? They were going to turn themselves in because they didn't want to die. And they figured at least if the Assyrians killed them, it would be better than dying a slow death of hunger. That wasn't bold and audacious anything. It was a complete and utter despair. My grandson, Kyan, is starting to learn how to walk right now. And you parents know how fun that season is. And, and uh, he, you know, it's so cool because there's so many analogies to, to life. It's so real to life. And, and, and you know, and he, and, and what, he has a, a little step in our house that is kind of his launching pad. So he crawls to that step, sits down on the step, looks around to see if anybody's watching, he likes an audience. I don't know where he gets that from. He likes an audience. <laughs> and then, and then he stands up and his little legs are just wobble like that. And, and it's kind of freaky, you know, as, as a grandfather. It's kind of, kind of freaky to watch because this steps right here and, you know, could be unpleasant. But I watch him. I watch him as he as he starts to do this little deal. <laughs> Boom. I mean he usually makes three, four steps right now. Bam! Then he looks up and smiles. Yeah! Goes back to the step. Come on. So good. And I thought yesterday morning. As I watched him, I thought, now, what if he just intended to walk? What if he said, now, someday I'm going to walk? How is this? This is just silly at this point. I mean, what if this thing didn't kick in? And he's, you know, five years old, and we're still packing him around. And he's promising, Papa, someday I'll I, I walk, I'll walk, I promise. <laughs> but see, what is it about us? The fear of failure, the fear of falling down. We get a little bit older, we get careful, we get cautious, we get hesitant. 
We get all these stipulations. We don't want to act on anything. We don't want to pull the trigger. We don't want to move forward. We don't want that. Oh, it's Halloween. There you go. Be, Be careful. Be careful. I'm all for wisdom. You know that. I'm all for counting the cost. But there's a time where you launch, baby. You launch. You get over your fear. In fact, you are not always going to get it right. Forget it. I mean, with the best of education, knowledge, awareness, if you're right, you know, seven out of ten times, then you're doing pretty good. So forget about being ten for ten, batting a thousand. Nobody does. But that's not where you put your sense of pride and your sense of knowing who you are as a child of God. You don't put it into your into your successes only. You. I, I'm just at a loss for words. I mean, the, seriously, the two passages he mentioned in passing, the Bible nuggets, if you would, you know, the Bible sprinkles to help add the artificial Bible flavor to this pep talk, totally mangled. I, I don't even know where we are anymore. This is ridiculous put it into to the effort that you make and the willingness you have to step out to be bold to go for it to take a risk take a chance not be afraid walk by faith not by sight i love the the am i okay are you guys okay i'm having fun right now I, I love the story where jesus welcomed simon peter out of the boat same deal he's like you know, Peter's like, that would really be cool. That's what Peter, <laughs> hey, it would be really cool, yeah. Why do I feel like, okay, let me see if I can predict where this is going to go. Um, What if Peter had just had the intention to get the, out of the boat but never put his one foot in front of the other? Then w- see, why do I feel like this is this miserable point is coming? Uh, this is wretch- this is just an abomination. Is that you, Jesus? Yeah, that's me, Simon. Wow. Could I like could I like come to where you are? Could I get out of the boat and go and come to where you are? And Jesus, I see him like smiling right there. And going, I love you, Peter. I can always count on you, man, to to go for it. I love that about you. Uh, none of that's in the text, so you're preaching your imaginary text. Got it? And Jesus says, come. Come on. I like that. Jesus didn't say, yeah, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put a hardwood floor down right here. <laughs> you say, Kevin, where, where am I going to find God? You're going to find him. When you're willing to step out of the boat. Oh, saw that one coming. Law, law. And that's not even what the text says. And they're clapping for this. Unbelievable. You, you can't walk on the water unless you're willing to step out of the boat. Oh, how many times have we heard that overflung cliche? God encourages us to put our faith to work and take bold, 
courageous, maybe scary. Why don't you show me where that is in just like, you know, open up a Bible passage and exegete it from a clear passage. I bet you can't do it. Steps. Audacious steps that says where I am is not where I want to stay. Where I am is not my permanent place. And so I'm going to move forward. I'm going to take some steps. I'm going to move out of the intention list and over to the action list. Now I'm going to close today, and I hope everyone will write these down. I'm going to give you really... Yeah, quick, write these down like they're going to help you. Really quickly, I'm going to give you something to translate this message in a practical way when you leave here into your life today. Keys to being a doer. Number one, use a to-do list. Yeah, that's in the um, book of Hezekiah, chapter 98, verse 352. Yeah, just look it up. Use a to-do list. Yeah, do I need a crucified and risen Savior for this? Don't rely on your memory. Oh, great advice, yeah. You're not that smart. (laughs) Whew, this is some profound biblical wisdom here. Whew, worth paying 10% of your annual income in a tithe for, don't you think? I mean, think about it. You're making $50,000 a year. You're tithing $5,000 a year to good old Kevin Gerald and the Champion Center. I mean, is this worth $5,000 of your hard-earned income? Write it down. Write it down. Got it. Thanks. You know, I learned this at Franklin Covey. It wasn't even close to $5,000 to learn this. Write it down. You know, for years, I, I, you did, I used just the, the folded up piece of paper in my pocket. This is a testimonial at this point. Because it was handy and it was quick. And I still rely on that at some times. I've got some good help around me. I got people ordering me around now. That's kind of the way my life is now. It's, I wake up and check in. Sheila, Tony, what do I do today? Okay, I'll be there. You know, I got that. My life has gotten a little more sophisticated. But in the things that I intend, and every year I always, I, I, I take time to write out my vision, my goals. Wow, you're so spiritual. Where I want to, what I want to do this year. I I bet there's Mormons and Buddhists and atheists who do the same thing. What I want to achieve this year. So make a to-do list. Number two, create artificial deadlines. If you okay, this is in the book of um, Second Procrastinations. Uh, chapter 63, verse 42. You were suddenly given round-trip t- 
tickets to a week, all expenses paid trip in Hawaii, leaving in 48 hours, you'd get more done in two days than seemed possible. <laughs> Isn't that true? Well, that's what the 40-day challenge is about. If you embrace it, you'll see major progress in this window of time. Now, even if you're not in a, a small group, you can take what we're doing. And let's just say there's 20 day left, 20's day left. I don't know, maybe you want to give yourself 12 days. I, just create an, a, a deadline and, and create artificial ones. Like, like drop dead artificial, but they are deadlines for you to get it done. And to you, that means if you have to work at it, when you didn't plan to work at it, you put extra hours into it, you, you work in the evening, you work late at night. It's just you saying, I'm getting this done, and this is the deadline. And then number three, make yourself accountable to others. Give others permission to call you out. To hold you to it. If you're here to... So uh, are you giving me permission to call you out and say, you, sir, are in egregious sin because God has commanded his pastors to preach the word and you're not? You Just ask him. Here today and you participated in a successful large business focus or a large sporting program, calling you out is probably not new terminology for you. But to many other people... It can be unique, different terminology that is almost like trespassing. There's a lot of people who have a lot of protection mechanisms, don't want anyone in their, in their airspace, knowing their stuff and talking to them about their stuff. But when you become part of a community where producing matters, where getting it done matters, and by the way, let me just tell you, in our nation, we have gone from being a nation of cue sappy music producers to a nation of consumers. And if you give people permission to call you out and to say, did you get it done? How you doing on your list? Somebody that you're accountable for, for what you said you were going to do, what you intended. I, I just want to know, did the uh, local corporations in in greater Seattle pay this guy to turn church into basically a corporate best practices, you know, bring God into it and tell them to keep up with their list so that they get more done. I mean, is this what Christianity is all about? Be, corporate productivity and, you know, moving from intention to action and getting your to-do list done? To do if you give someone permission and you say, I want you to call me out on it. I want you to know about this. I want you to, it can be your husband, your wife. If that isn't good enough, get a couple of friends to reinforce it. But make yourself, I mean, if you're serious today about being a doer, this will be a huge help to you becoming someone who gets it done. 
by giving permission to other people to know what it is you're trying to get done, what you said you intended to do, and to be accountable for getting it done. Form a to-do list, form artificial deadlines, and make yourself accountable. And watch what... And where is this taught in the Bible again? I can get this anywhere, but I can't get Christ him crucified for our sins anywhere. I can only get that at a Christ-centered, cross-focused, word and sacrament-focused church. Apparently, that's not what the Champion Center is. What happens? Watch what happens in your life. Come on, let's give the Lord a great big hand today. For what? For giving us a to-do list? (sighs) Come on, you want to be a doer? Amen. If you'd like more... I don't know. Seriously, that was just horrible. <laughs> Jesus, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, seriously, I mean, I mean, after hearing that sermon, you would think that Moses ascended Mount Sinai into the glory of God, you know, to meet face to face with God, to and came down with stone tablets, and the first and on the stone tablet, the first one said, "Thou shalt be a doer." Thou shalt make a to-do list. Thou shalt take action. <sighs> Actually, there is a um, commandment that applies here. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. By not correctly handling God's word and basically using God to basically give this corporate productivity pep talk, Kevin Gerald is blaspheming and taking God's name in vain. And not only that, he's in flagrant rebellion to the word of God because he's not actually preaching God's word. This is exactly what it means to scratch itching ears rather than preach the word and sound doctrine. Stop and say a prayer for Kevin Gerald. Pray that God opens his eyes and brings him to repentance. Because this is not a small sin. This is serious, it's egregious, and he's preaching himself and others into hell. And the whole time, they're sitting there eating all this up. Like little fat piggies eating up their slop thinking that what they're getting is 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 really a meal and it's not it's moldy crusty garbage and leftovers garbage in garbage out this is not biblical preaching there was no christ in this i don't even need a crucified and risen savior for this kind of advice i could get it for a lot cheaper than 10% of my annual income but just get a book i mean there's a book out there called Getting Things Done. I think you get it in paperback for seven ninety eight, and it teaches. It goes into far better detail than Kevin Gerald gave. I mean, just skip these churches. I mean, they're a waste of your time and your money. And on top of it, they'll probably send you to hell. You need a church where Christ and Him crucified for our sins and sound biblical doctrine and God's word is actually preached. 
not, not mangled and twisted into some kind of bizarre, I mean, ethereal, surreal thing. This isn't a church. If you're attending a church like this or even Kevin Gerald's church, run for your life and find a church that the pastor takes his responsibility to preach the word seriously and soberly and isn't in it for the fame, the fortune, and the money, and the, and the props, and all that kind of stuff, but is instead out there placarding Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, telling you what a great God and Savior you have in Jesus, and showing it to you from all of the passages of Scripture. That's what you need, not this. You need this as badly as you need a hole in your head. I mean, you can get if you if you are a, an employee of a decent Fortune 500 company, you get the stuff for free. They send you to they send you they give you a day off to go to training to to learn how to manage your time. You don't need Kevin Gerald to teach you that. Let alone pay him a tithe to teach you this. I mean, and what he told you was shallow and vapid. It wasn't even really good. It was a synopsis of something that may be good, but it doesn't go into the depth necessary to really make a difference in how you manage your time. And that's not what church is for anyway. Pray that God brings him to repentance and God wakes up his church. This is not Christianity. Ay, ay, ay. Well, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, and that means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate, the other says Join Our Crew. Pick one of them and fill it all out. And uh, thank you in advance for your support because we truly do depend upon you in order to continue to bring this radio outreach to you as well as to the world. So what'd you think? You know, I'd love to give your, get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross. For all of your sins, amen. Amen.